We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. So I could see, I think you could see why today's message in this series is so critical to what's happening in our world because the series that we're in right now is called Be. And over the past few weeks, we've been learning how to be with God before we start to do anything for Him. Week one, we said we need to be still. That before we have any action, we need to be still and hear from Him so we're acting in the right way. Week two, we said we want to be holy which means that we need to be separated. We need to be different from what the rest of the world is experiencing. And we need to be holy in his presence. And then third, we need to be courageous. Last week, we talked about how that courage wells up inside us, that strength is what God is when he's inside us and courage is what we do when he's working through us. If you missed any of those messages, I would highly encourage you to go back to our website or the, or the app that we have and be able to listen to those as we enter into the final week of the series, as we talk about being bold. And to do that, I want to jump into the book of Acts, actually, to begin our conversation and hear from Jesus, as he says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we read that he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are Jesus's words. And I always love to point out this about those words, that this command is never a suggestion or a question. Jesus is not like feeling us out like, hey, you know, if you don't mind, could you let people know about me? And, and if you don't, don't, don't worry about it. But, but if you could, that'd be great. I, I, I kind of find that approach so much comical in light of how aggressive we are to ask people to share our posts or support our travel fund fundraisers or, or buy essential oils from us, you know. But yet when it comes to sharing the story about what God saved us from and an eternity apart from God, we start sweating like a junior high boy asking a girl to the winter formal, right? Well, well, what if we stopped and we looked at what Jesus said here just a little bit closer? Because the language that he just chose to use was from the legal realm. And I think it's important for us to understand the implications of what Jesus is saying here, that he wants us to, to be bold. It, I have several friends out there that are actually lawyers in different states. I reached out to several of them and I asked them of the keys to a a good prosecution or a good defense in court. And without question, each of them said the most powerful tool in a a lawyer's tool belt for for defending or prosecuting a case is actually the witnesses that they call. They said that the witnesses are the most critical aspect to any case. Witnesses are powerful for what they said or what they saw, what they heard and what they experienced in a case because on their testimony, a jury can better determine what is right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false in the case. And if someone says that they, were to, they, they saw what happened, it helps to clear some of the gray around the case a bit. So, so witnesses are key to our judicial system. But witnesses are also key to our faith. There's, this is why Peter actually makes a point to talk about this in the book of 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, he says. Now, if you don't believe in God here today, I just want to tell you, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us here today. I'm pumped that you're with us today. But we need to consider that it's one thing to say you don't believe in something or believe these guys because you think they're lying or making it up. 
But it's a completely different hurdle to overcome when you realize that they were eyewitnesses. Because a witness has authority in their story that gives them credibility. A witness has authority in their story that gives them credibility. So as we talk about God calling us to be bold, we need to do something. And we need to do this. I need us to step into the courtroom for a second and, and think about this. Now, you probably are all wondering, um, why in the world are you wearing a tie, PB? This is not like you. Well, of course, if you're going to be a lawyer, you have to have all the parts to it and do it the right way. Uh, so as, as someone is going to provide evidence of whether they're, they're going to be convicted, I love putting coats on. They're so much fun, right? Oh, my gosh. Guys, live TV, how fun. There it is, okay? So um, if, if somebody's going to be providing evidence in, in a courtroom, uh, whether someone's going to be acquitted or convicted of something, uh, they have to understand about the witnesses that are going to be called. But, but what if for a second, as you were considering this courtroom case, what if the person that was on trial was you and me? And that as the judge kind of enters the courtroom for a moment, um, we all stand to our feet, and then we, he, and he, or he or she positions themselves behind the bench. Everyone is then to ask to be seated except for us. And we stand there looking at the judge as they read the charges against us. And they say, uh, this is case number one on the docket. I've watched a lot of Judge Judy, so I kind of know how this goes. So anyway, um, this is case number one on the docket. The entire world versus the defendant. And then insert your name. The defendant is being charged, Your Honor, with claiming to be a Christian. And, and what is about to take place is that you are going to be on trial for whether or not your claim of being a Christian is true. And the only way that you will be found guilty of being a Christian is by eyewitness testimonies of people that are around you. Oh, I forgot to tell you one other thing, though. Uh, you can't pick the people that are witnesses. Right. They have a list of people on their own. They've already hand-selected people that you have interacted with since being a Christian, but people that you might not think of right away. Uh, people like uh, your brother, your coworker on the job site, your sorority sister, your college teammate, that cashier at the Jamba Juice, and, uh, and your boss. So, so let me stop right here for just a second and ask you something. Is anyone nervous right now? Like, like, are your palms all sweaty? Are, are you trying to make a quick inventory of how well you tipped your waiter back when you were able to go to restaurants? Or are you trying to remember exactly when you said yes to Jesus in college? How confident are you in that list of people? Well, well but as the lawyer actually calls up each witness, he's going to ask them the same questions. And he's going to focus on four sets of evidence in your life to determine whether or not, whether or not you in fact are a Christian. Granted, all of these might not be able to be seen visibly by people, but the, the culmination of the evidence that we will add here is going to give you a large indicator of whether or not Jesus really is in your life. The question of how obvious is your faith to those that are around you? Can they see your faith at all? Which, which brings us to the, the last part of the series that God wants us to be, and again, that is to be bold. Are we bold in our faith for Jesus. So let's see if we are living a bold enough life to be convicted of being a Christian by the four evidences that we are going to show you here today. Now, evidence number one is this, is, is a heart, a changed heart. 
See, what I think we need to understand is that the, the Bible talks a lot about how our heart needs to be changed when it comes to following Jesus. In, in fact, God would actually say that, um, uh, Jesus actually says that the way that we know that we love God is that we love the Lord your God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. Our, our heart is really important. But, but why? Why is a changed heart important? Be, because our heart is the seat for so many of the decisions that we make. The heart is what drives so many of, of, of the, the, the questions that we have and the, the, the actions that we take. It's the inner part of us that, that we feel kind of tense up when it's time to make a hard decision. It, it hardens when someone disrespects us. It, it's the part of us that gets all ooey and gooey when we see the love of our life. But, but our heart is also where Satan will try to attack because he knows it's really vulnerable. After all, even the Bible recognizes this. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is so important because our heart, unchecked by God, is bound to have heart disease. And the Bible is full of people with a lot of heart disease. Cain hated Abel with all of his heart, so he murdered him. Saul hated David with a jealous heart, so he tried to kill him. Satan entered Judas through his heart of greed and convinced him to turn from Jesus and turn Jesus over to be murdered. So, so our hearts are very vulnerable to attack and also manipulation by Satan. And if you're not a Christian here today, this next part might be something interesting for you to know about Christians. And that is because as Christians, we believe that when we don't follow God in our lives, that thing is called sin. It's, it's sin that separates us from a holy, perfect God. But what you might not have known is that sin is not just a bunch of goof ups or screw ups, but it damages our heart. It, it clogs our heart, the arteries of our heart from getting the spiritual blood that God knows that we need. So I love actually how the prophet Ezekiel describes what God can do with our sinful hearts in chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the question we have to ask ourselves is whether or not there has been any heart change in our life because of Jesus. So does your heart hurt for other people? Does your heart cringe at injustice? Does your heart look out for others? Does, does your heart want what's right, not what you want what, right now? See, a, a life transformed by Jesus will first be seen in a heart that, is, that beats differently. People will be able to sense and see that your heart has changed. That's the first evidence that we're being bold. Now, the second evidence after our heart is our mind, is our mind. Um, a life uh, that is kind of untethered or, or a mind that's untethered to Jesus uh, will tend to wander quite a bit. I mean, it, without its own compass, it's going to kind of wander all over the place. And I know for me, if, if I'm not focused, my mind will wander in all kinds of different directions. And, and generally, they aren't all that great. I, I can let my mind go into my neighbor's garage and, and want to have the truck that he has. My mind will wander into other people's Instagram feeds and what the life that I see. My mind will focus on the worst in people, not the best. And listen, that's just me being honest with you as your pastor. But what I know is that when I'm focused on Jesus, my mind thinks differently. 
Paul would actually tell us that, uh, that when we are focused on Jesus, our minds are transformed. Uh, read with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, if you let me nerd out for just a second, the uh, Greek word here for transformation is the word metamorpho. And, and where, that's actually where we get the word metamorphosis from. And although it's normally connected with like a change we see in insects and animals, I, I think its definition actually fits really well with what happens to our minds. So metamorphosis is the process of transformation from immature form to an adult form. Can we just be really honest for a second with each other? Part of being bold and having God take over our minds is growing up. It doesn't mean that we can't have fun or be enjoyable to be around because, oh my goodness, don't we have some Christians that are zero fun to be around? Yikes, you know what I'm saying? But I will say that there should be some evidence in your life that your mind is different, more grown up in Jesus. The way you think should be transformed by Jesus. Uh, for example, um, <laughs> when you are transformed by Jesus, our minds don't default to the dirty joke comeback on the job site. Our minds are filled with how you can help, not hurt each other. All of a sudden, our minds are wanting to know more about God and not about other things. And let me tell you something. You will need to be bold in order to do that. Because our natural instinct is to go to dark places, sarcastic places, and hurtful places. It takes zero effort to do that. But when Jesus is really in your life, we can use his strength to be bold and not fall into those old patterns of our mind. And people will see that. There will be evidence of a changed mind. So, <clears throat> changed heart, changed mind. Third thing, the third evidence that we should see, though, is a, a changed attitude. Changed attitude. Um, I actually love what Winston Churchill once said. Uh, Winston Churchill once said, he said that an attitude or is, a, is a little thing that makes a big difference. Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. This has never been more true. Our attitude says more about our connection to Jesus than maybe anything else. And I struggle with this one the most. I mean, I could fall into a bad attitude so quickly if I'm tired, hungry, grumpy, have a lot on my mind, am not doing something that I don't want to do. Like if I didn't want to watch Trolls too, then I don't want to be doing it, right? But I mean, I'm a bear to be around if that happens. I basically act like my kids when they didn't take naps when they were younger. Any parents right now saying, amen, my kid needs to take a nap right now? Okay, I get you. But, but here's what I've noticed about, about attitude. Attitude leaves the longest lasting residue and impression on people. When it, when it comes out of my life, it's in competitiveness. I hate to lose. Highly competitive. I hate to lose. When I start to lose at something, I get really hard on myself, and my attitude just goes right into the tank. And like I said, when that stuff happens, man, it's like the Hulk comes out of me, and I just, it, it makes a lasting impression on people. To this day, my family remembers a story about me back in junior high. 
and it was when my, my attitude just stuck with them. I was, uh, I was a junior high, about eighth grade, and I was track. I was pretty fast, and so I ran sprints and different things like that. But I decided that I was going to start to do the high jump. And I know you're looking at me, and you're like, yeah, he totally is a high jumper. But back then, I was about 5'5 five, five on a good day, and I was at a meet. And I, was, uh, I reached the height of six feet to be able to get over. At 5'5", five, five, trying to go jump over six feet, doing the Fosbury flop backwards, let's just say I am a, I'm a short dude. It ain't going to happen. I didn't so much go over it, but I kind of went right through it over and over. And in the high jump, you get three chances at, uh, on that. And on the third one, I missed. Shocking, I missed. And so I got mad, and I pulled a hulk. I grabbed my jersey and I ripped off one of the arms of my tank top so I was flopping down. I looked like Tarzan. And I remember seeing my mom, though, and my brothers that had come to watch me. And I looked at them and I saw the disappointment and the disgust in their eyes. My mom said, boys, let's go. And they turned and walked away and she said, this is not how we act. And your brother, he's going to need to clean this up. They still remember that to this day. They reminded me of that a couple weeks ago on our weekly Zoom call that we do. And I'll tell you this, I remember it too. And, and I tell you that, to say that, that without Jesus in our life, our attitudes have nothing to ground themselves to. We're like kites in the wind without any string. But with Jesus in our life, we are given a, a foundation to anchor to. Would you listen to Philippians chapter 2, Paul's words? Uh, this is the New Living Translation. Paul says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Paul is saying that if you want to be encouraged in the fact that you know Jesus, then let your attitude lead the way. If you want to be bold, in your faith, and let's have a bold attitude that shows people something's different about you. As the great author and leader John Maxwell once said, he says, the greatest day in your life and mine is when we take total responsibility for our attitudes. That's the day we truly grow up. So let's be specific. Let's be specific. How can others see that we're bold in our faith through our attitude? How do we do that? How do you respond to someone who gets the promotion over you? That might be one. What's your reaction when you're wrong in a conversation with your spouse? What do your social media posts say about your attitudes towards the world right now? You see, your attitude seeps into every part of who you are. There is no part of us that our attitude does not touch. And if our attitude has the power to, uh, to poison everything about us, that others people see in us, we'd be really wise to let God take that part over in us too. Our attitude matters. Our heart does. Our mind does. Our attitude does. And then fourthly, our actions do. Our actions do. The final evidence that the judge will use to determine whether or not we are a Christian will be our, our attitude. Excuse me, our actions. 
our, our, our actions. And, and I know right now, though, there might be some people out there that are thinking this. Well, okay, hold on. Well, is being a Christian all about just doing things? Do, do I just have to be a nice person so that people will think I'm a Christian? And I know why you would think that, and that's why I want us to direct the rest of our time to the words of Jesus' brother James. <clears throat> that's right, Jesus' brother James. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be at, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, have you ever had one of those friends that asks rhetorical questions that, like, everyone already knows the answer to? You know, things like, uh, hey, do you want to go to Chick-fil-A with me? Well, of course I want to go to Chick-fil-A with you, you know what I mean? Or, hey, do you think that all cats are creepy? Yes, all cats are creepy, okay. It, it kind of seems like James is asking some really rhetorical questions here, almost lawyer-esque, because we know that a lawyer never asks questions that they don't already know the answer to. And it would seem that the question that James is asking are really no-brainers. So he says, hey, if you know someone that needs clothes, but you pretend like they don't, is that wrong? Or, or if you see someone that that's, is hungry, uh, should you just pat them on the back instead of giving them food? Is that right? Well, but here is where the, he leverages real-world examples for the case for faith. He says, just like you can't tell someone to be hungry and warm without giving them food and clothing, you also can't say that you have faith in Jesus without actually doing something with your faith. And the same is true for us today. Guys, here's the deal. So many of us say that we want to have faith in Jesus or that we have faith in Jesus, but very little has ever changed in our life. We act the same, talk the same, spend our money the same way, treat our spouse the same way, use our time the same way. It's all the same. And I know that there's a group out there, they're going to say, you know what? My faith is a private thing. I don't need to do anything for my faith to be real. It's, it's between God and me. You ever said that? Which is exactly why James says this very thing in the very next verse. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, I know that some of you are thinking, um, you have faith with deeds. Well, I have faith without deeds. What's the big diff? No big deal. This is the modern day equivalent of someone telling James, uh, hey buddy, uh, you do you, I got my faith, you got your faith, let's just keep it at that, stay in your lane. And here's the reason that we want to think that way. H here we go, let me give you a, in, a little insight into it. Here's the reason. Because without action, faith is easy. It, it's, it's super easy. Because that type of faith has no need to be bold. That, that type of faith is a kind of check it off your bucket list of things to do right next to go to Disneyland or catch a monster halibut in the bay or go to Magnolia Market in Waco, Texas and have tea with Joe. Like, you know, like th there's no urgency with that type of faith. But that is exactly how Satan wants you to think. Which is why I want us to listen very closely to what James says next in the rest of verses 18 and 19. He says, James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. That should really scare you. It really should. That even the demons have a sense of urgency when it comes to God. They know who he is. And they are working their tails off to try to destroy your life because of that. There is no sense of apathy when it comes to Satan, especially about his mission on your life. And his mission is very simple. Do whatever he can, however he can, to keep God from you. And one of the greatest ways that he does this is to keep us comfortable in our faith. And if you're not a Christian here today, uh, you've seen this before. You, you totally get that. Uh, one day your coworker comes in and says, I've been born again. I met Jesus. And for a while things change. They pray before lunch. They listen to some worship music. They might even, you know, change their swear words to things like silly dilly and rumple rumpkins. You know, stuff like that. But then after a while, they stop praying. Music switches back. A few of those old swear words kind of make their way back in. They start talking about and gossiping behind people's backs. It all changes. And when that happens, Christian, you need to know that people are going to ask themselves, okay, did, did any of that Jesus stuff really mean anything? Because our belief in Jesus, for it to really stick, there has to be a moment of boldness in our life where our faith and our actions actually collide. I, I love actually how James describes um, a man by the name of Abraham. He was in the Old Testament, but he's describing Abraham in verse 22. And the way he describes it is this. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So the scripture says something positive about Abraham. But it also gives us a warning about our life. Because it says, Abraham was complete when his faith and actions were together. But this should also mean that our faith without actions is incomplete. Which is why James finishes this section of scripture by saying, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Not only is our faith incomplete, but he says it's dead. Without action, our faith is dead. So let me ask you, how alive is your faith right now? How bold is your faith? And before you move too quickly from that, let, let me ask you to, to self-evaluate yourself in some five areas where there needs to be bold action that you should see. The five areas. The first one is this. Be bold at work. Does anyone know that you're a Christian at work? Have you ever invited anyone to watch an online service with you? Have you even mentioned Jesus to anyone at work? Be bold at work. Number two, be bold in your finances. How would someone tell that you're a Christian by your bank statement? Does God factor into your budget at all, regardless of what pandemic is happening right now? Is generosity something that you strive for? Are you bold in your finances? How about number three, be bold as a parent. My friends, do your kids see a version of you that sits in front of the TV and watches church on Sunday morning and then a different version throughout the week? When was the last time you prayed as a family, not at a meal? How have you brought God into your conversation about COVID and about race and about the things that you're seeing on TV right now? Number four, be bold in your relationships. And let me settle here for a few minutes because I want to talk to three different groups of people. 
So for my single friends out there, let me ask you, is dating a moment of boldness for you or an area of weakness? So does your faith take precedence in your dating relationship regardless of how cute he is or how cute she is? How about my divorced friends? My heart breaks for you. My heart hurts for you. But let me ask you, are you being bold in your faith when you're approaching new relationships? Are you making exceptions to what you know God says to be true because you are in love? And let me just get right in some fruity pebbles here today. My friends that are divorced or in the process of getting a divorce, I should say, are you dating someone while you are still legally married? And guys, we just need to understand what that really means. The implications of just that one example. That you cannot say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior of everything and all these things that you're doing and all these things that are going on and then at the same time say that you're sleeping with somebody that's your boyfriend or your girlfriend while you're still illegally married. Guys, those two things cannot coexist. They just can't. And they also are sending some really mixed messages to our kids right now too. We must understand, they cannot coexist. How about my married friends? Are we being bold in our faith with our spouse? Do we love them, serve them? Do we show Jesus to them? Just because we say I do doesn't mean that that just goes away. It should be even more. Are we being bold in our relationships? And then fifth, the last one, be bold in sharing your faith. The story of how Jesus came into your life is a story people need to know. I know so many people that say that they don't want to share their story because you know what? I'm embarrassed. It's too private. No one's going to care. The truth is that our Jesus story is the most important part of our life and shouldn't be and should be ready at a moment's notice to be shared. Peter says in 1 Peter, actually 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, what are we waiting for? What are you embarrassed about? If you really believe Jesus did what he said he did, why would you not want to tell someone about that? Be bold. Share your faith. And here's what I want us to take away from today. That being bold means living a tag-your-it life. That if you are bold in your heart, your mind, your attitude and actions, then you will be living a tag-your-it life. I say it every week. I tell you, tag your it when you leave. And here's why. I believe that when you come to church, whether you tune in, whether you come in person, you are tagging us. And you're saying, teach me about Jesus. Teach me about the Bible. Tell me about God. And we'll do that for yourself, for your friends, for your family, for your kids, any way we possibly can. You are going to leave here with what God is saying you need to go and do and to be a part of what needs to change and what he loves you and all of that. But when you log off or when you leave this building, I'm going to tag you because now it's your turn to go and do something with what you just heard. If you are being bold for your faith, you cannot wait to get through those doors to go and do something with what you've heard. You can't wait to log off so you can go and talk to your neighbor. You can't wait to go to work the next day to be able to say, this is what Jesus did in my life. Be bold. So what's the verdict? Would you be found guilty of being a Christian based on the evidence in your life. How's your boldness meter? (laughs) And you might be saying this, you might be saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Pastor B, hang on. Are you saying that if I don't have these evidences in my life, I'm not a Christian? Well, I can't say that. I'm not God. He hasn't given me any indication he's going to hand over the keys to that duty anytime soon to me, and that's probably a good thing. 
But I will say this. If you really say that you know Jesus, if you say you have really given your life over to him as your savior, if you wholeheartedly understand how dark your life was before him, how your life looked without him and what your eternity, your eternity was destined to be with apart from him, then I would find it really hard to believe that your life would not be radically different because of that. And here is why this matters so much. The world has always been marked by people of action. Some good, some bad, but it is always through action that has changed the world. And now more than ever before, our world needs Christians to be bold in their faith. It's times like this with tragedies like George Floyd happening in the streets of Minneapolis, the unknown of the coronavirus, that the world needs us to be bold because this is what the world needs and has always needed. It needs us to be bold. I actually love this story that I found. Um, in fact, my wife actually shared it with me. Um, it's a story that I think sums up what we're really looking for in this world better than maybe I've, I've found. It says, years ago, anthropologist Margaret Mead, famous anthropologist Margaret Mead, was asked by a student what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in a culture. The student expected Mead to talk about fish hooks and clay pots and grinding stones, but no. Mead said that the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a femur, was a, was a thigh bone that had been broken and then healed. Mead explained that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger, get to the river for a drink or hunt for food. You are meat for prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for the bone to be healed. A broken femur that was healed is evidence that someone has taken time to stay with the one who fell, has bound up the wound, has carried the person to safety, and has tended the person through recovery. Helping someone else through difficulty is where civilization starts. I love that the way that she knew people have become more civilized was not in the stuff that was left behind, not in the stuff that was left behind at all. No, no, what it was, was it was by the actions that were taken. The, the world needs to see that as Christians, Jesus has taken hold of our mind and our heart and our attitudes so much so that it pours out in the actions that we take. She said it was through the, the healing that provided the evidence that things had changed for the better. That's how she knew. But here's the reason this matters. Here's the reason all of this matters right here. And the reason is, it's not so that people can look at us and think we're really good or have people think, man, you're a really great person. No, it's for one reason and one reason only. All of this evidence, all of this evidence points back to one thing. And it points back to the cross. All of that evidence points to the cross. It points to Jesus. 
That because I can have a new heart because Jesus gave me a new heart. I can have a new mind because Jesus gave me a new mind. I can have a new attitude because Jesus, I now have the attitude of Jesus Christ. And my actions are different because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be bold. It is only because of Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. When he came from heaven to earth to live amongst us, to die a perfect death for us, to defeat death for us, to ascend to heaven and prepare a place for us. Only because of all of that is any of this possible. If we do this without Jesus, then we're just being a good person and we're trying to be really moral people. But the reality is that we need more than morals. We need Jesus. We need saving. We need transformation. That is what our world needs more than anything right now is transformation. A renewed heart, mind, attitude, and actions. Only through Jesus is that possible. And so at communion, that's what we remember. We remember the cross and we remember what he gave for us. He gave us a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude, a new action so that we can be bold for him. And our world is waiting. It needs you. It needs me to stand up, to be bold and to be Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And amongst a broken world, we need you more than ever before. God, would you help us to guard our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, and our actions, and might they pour out of a love that comes only from you. God, if anyone on the, uh, uh, right now watching this does not know you, Jesus, as their Savior, and they're feeling an emptiness inside them, and they're wondering their goodness is ever going to be good enough in front of you, might they be reminded that right now they need you, Jesus, more than ever. They don't need to be more moral. They need to be more with you. They need you as their Savior, Jesus. So if anyone doesn't know you, Jesus, right now, Would they simply say, God, I want your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior in my life. I understand that he died for my sins on that cross. He defeated death for me. That empty tomb is a sign and he is now preparing a place for me and I want that. And as a result of that, I want a new mind, a new heart, a new attitude. And I want my actions to be different. God, you tell us that if anyone claims Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the old is gone, the new has come, they're a new creation. You have saved them. I pray that that would happen as we remember this time of communion, that many would be saved and many would start to be bold for you in a world so desperate for it. God, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, this is all for you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.